Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Shapes of Stories podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige. And yeah, today we've got a really, well, another exciting episode for you, as my guest is none other than Sunita. And uh, yeah, really wonderful talker to Sunita. Um, obviously, I remember... Sunita, mostly from the X Factor as a teenager, as she was one of the coaches that kind of helped the singers and helped Simon Cowell. And um, yeah, but it was really it was really um, interesting to talk to her about other stuff as well that I've learned about her since um, since the X Factor. You know, um, not only do we talk about um, the X Factor and her music career and, and how that all came about, but we also talk about her faith. You know, we're, we're both. Uh, we both have faith as Christians, and it was um, really interesting learning uh, Sunita's journey into faith, which is quite amusing as well. It's quite a funny story to listen to, um, and you know, an emotional one too. And um, you know, she now has a a leadership role in the Hillsong Church in London, and it was really interesting to hear all about that and Sunita's thoughts on faith. So not only do we talk about X Factor, we talk about faith. Um, Sunita had COVID herself right at the early stages of the pandemic and um, she talks to us about that. And she also talks to us about um, uh, being a being a mum, but you know, she, she's adopted her children and the process of that. And um, yeah, it was really interesting to hear about about the process of adoption and uh, how that all happened for Sunita. And um, yeah, it was just a, a really interesting chat, you know, um, obviously, you know, we talk about the relationship she had with Simon Cowell and, you know, she's very open about that, about their um, professional and uh, private relationship between the two of them. And uh, we also hear about how Simon Cowell's doing because obviously Simon Cowell had that really horrific back injury quite recently and she talked to us about how she's doing and Simon Cowell's um, son uh, talks to us uh, um, about him. Uh, but yeah, it was it, it was great talking to Sunita, and yeah, I really look forward to sharing this episode with you. And yeah, be sure to check us out on social media. You can follow us out on you can follow us on Twitter at Shapes of Stories on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram under Prestige Books. You can follow me on Facebook under my Facebook page Lawrence Prestige, and you can follow us on our Facebook podcast The Shapes of Stories. Uh, thanks for all the support. Please support us in any way you can. Uh, be sure to subscribe and um, yeah, and, and like and rate us. It's it's always really appreciated. But without further ado, here is my chat with the wonderful Sunita. Okay, so hi Sunita. How have you? Well, firstly, how have you been doing over this last? Over, well, it's coming up to a year now, isn't it? Covid year. Yeah, it's, a new, it's literally like nearly a year. Um, do you know what? Okay, so I had it last yeah, year. I heard about this, on, yeah. But I had it um, before we really knew what it was. So mm. in a way that was good because I just thought I was had a really, really bad flu, even though I, I felt my, my chest, something unusual was happening. Um, 
And by the time I was sort of getting over it, that's when I realized what I had. Right. <laughs> um, so that was a relief, actually, because, of course, people were dying and it was all very mysterious. So, you know, I didn't know, like, do you just suddenly drop? Do you get more ill? Um, but anyway, since then, you know, I've done a few tests. I have the antibodies um, and I haven't gotten it again, which is great. Mm, yeah. And uh, just sort of try to keep busy. Uh, you know, well, to be honest, I've been very, I got very bored this time around. Mm, yeah, I found the third one, the third lockdown has been tougher. Yeah, the first time I think the novelty and you kind of think, right, also you don't know if it's just going to be for a few weeks, right? Mm. So you think, right, okay, I'll do this, I'll do that. Um, and so I was busy, I was eating properly, I was exercising. Um, this time, I think the month of January was a bit of a write-off. Yeah. I think I just kind of had an extended Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? But it's March. It's the 1st of March. So pinch and a punch, 1st of the month. <laughs> Thank you. And I feel like, you know, really getting on, you know, back on track now. February, I did half of February well, half of it not so bad. Mm. Now that's it. You know, I've got to get my act together now. Yeah. Have you been able to stay, I guess, have you sort of been, you know, physically, obviously, with COVID, it sort of took, took it out of you. But so emotionally and mentally as well, have you had your ups and downs over this last year? Yeah, again, um, this, like the first lockdown, I wasn't sort of depressed at all. I was kind of just trying to get well. And I'm, I'm quite good, you know, I'm an only child. So I've, you know, I'm used to a sort of quiet home, only child and single parent family. So I grew up in quite a quiet home, um, used to being alone unless I was in a relationship. But I did worry about some of my friends who were just like, cannot stand their own company, do not like being alone and were freaking out. So I did very well the first time and I was kind of reaching out to others more to keep trying to help keep other people going. And so this January, I, I actually felt really depressed. I was mm -hmm. just sort of fed up. I was a bit lonely. Um, I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I was even fed up with watching television. You know, when you're just like, mm -hmm. you know, how many episodes of, What's that thing, dinner date? And oh, yeah, first dates. Or, yeah, yeah, dinner date, first dates. I mean, everybody, everything was, everyone's going on dates except me because I'm <laughs> single as well. And, um, you know, I couldn't be bothered to cook properly because it's kind of like it's only me. And I just kind of went on a real kind of downward thing. And that's when I had to really pull myself together for February because I thought, ah, this is how it happens. Mm -hmm. it's like everybody sort of has it's like having a pain threshold isn't it where I thought I'm a naturally up upbeat optimistic person it sort of took me all of last year to sort of get torn down so that by you know mid-January I was just like do you know what I just I just can't so I had to make a conscious effort and I made all these promises and wrote all these things down to say I was going to do this I'm going to do that I didn't do half of it but the fact that I was resolving to do something, you know, so if I was going to work out for half an hour, if I did sort of 10 press-ups, I think, well, at least I did 10 press-ups. And it, it was kind of like that. Yeah. Um, quite scary, though, because I've never kind of really felt that thing where you're kind of looking around thinking, gosh, if I don't get a grip, this uh, I don't know how far down I'll slide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think sometimes as well it's what you let into your circle 
with your mood as well. Because like sometimes when I'm watching the news, I can feel like what you can watch the news for half an hour, forty five minutes, whatever it is, and you have like COVID, Brexit, um, you know, all that that awful stuff that happened with George Floyd, and you know the the yeah. conflict there was there, and oh, like the American elections. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, you watch the news for half hour, forty five minutes, you do feel rubbish after you've watched the news. <laughs> absolutely you know and then of course you know being black and the whole um vaccine thing it was like you know worrying about and sort of it creeping closer to my so it's it's coming close to my sort of age route now like the 50s and it's like you know should I have the vaccine you know is this is this a sort of mass genocide because you read you know you're online and you're seeing all this crazy stuff um I'm just you know normally not so paranoid but I do like you said you're just getting influenced by so much input yeah different people and it's all very convincing Mm -hmm. so I'd be sort of messaging people saying gosh so what do you think about that vaccine I guess we shouldn't have it right and people go of course you of course you've got to have it I can't wait to have it and then I'd message somebody else who'd go no way you know it hasn't killed me so far so I you know I don't and I was like I don't know what to I I, you know just mass confusion as well which doesn't help well, I was, I was, I have the, I had the jab about last week, last Saturday. Oh. And that's because, yeah, just purely because I'm around um, working, tutoring some vulnerable people as well, whether it be Down syndrome, autism. So I got off, I got a phone call on Thursday and was like, oh yeah, did you, know, do you want to come in for the jab? And I was like, are you sure I'm allowed it? Because like, I'm 31 years old. Like, wow. yeah, I yeah, felt, I felt a bit, yeah, yeah, but I felt a bit bad for having it. But um, yeah, but I had, I had one friend ringing me like, don't get it like don't take this vaccine like and it's it's strange because some people are very strongly feel like there's some kind of sinister thing going on with it don't they well people think that it's injecting um what do they think like trackers or something so that the bill gates (laughs) i mean i'm just like and i'm thinking gosh if i was like 70 75 you know maybe i wouldn't be so worried you know and then it's like oh it's to cap your lifespan so, you know, you'll sort of die within the next 15, 20 years. I mean, just just awful. But but how are you feeling? I mean, you look great. Oh, thanks. But um, I, I was like, I got told, like, I had the Oxford vaccine. And a couple of friends said oh, to yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the Oxford one makes it, I had it and it, I felt a bit dodgy afterwards. The whole, I had it on the Saturday. All day Saturday, I was fine. And then Sunday morning, I woke up and I felt horrific on something. Like it was, I can only describe it as feeling like it was the worst hangover. Like, achy, head pounding, just like, yeah, yeah, really sort of felt just shut down for a day. And then by sort of Monday lunchtime, I was kind of, I rode it out and I was fine. But on that that day after. did you sort of eat and drink? Did they tell you to take vitamins or anything or just to rest? No, they just said to rest. They just said like, they said, you know, you might feel rough. As soon as you put, they take, they, they take, they give you the vaccine, and they say, oh yeah, you might feel rough for like after you've had it. <laughs> so literally, they take the needle out and go, oh by the way, you might feel rubbish over the next couple of days. And yeah. I was like, okay, what's well, fine? But they said like if it's like over a week to ten days, maybe see the GP then. But you know, after yeah. you know a day or so, I was fine. But yeah, yeah, just just the worst hangover. I just kind of felt like just you know when you've kind of had yeah. a, been in yeah. Mag- Magaloo for. A, a long time and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that Magaloo scene. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, what do you mean that? Yeah. Oh, that that's not too bad. And I, I have heard that that's the one, that's the favourite one. That that one. Although people said, okay, f- some people have told me the Oxford one has more side effects, 
but mm-hmm. it's more like a flu jab, the way it reacts to our bodies and everything. Yeah. And that the Pfizer, there's no side effects, but it's a newer sort of technology or mm-hmm. yeah, med- yeah. you call it medi- medicology or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, something like that, yeah. I mean, how, how have your kids been doing with lockdown? Because I guess for them, it's like, for, for young, like, teenagers and kids, it must be so, it's all, like, awful, like, what they're sort of missing out on, I suppose. It's been, like, a year. Yeah, all especially, you know, you know, my, my, my kids are, like, 14 and, you know, coming into 15 now. So it's that age where you're finally allowed to go to the cinema or go a little bit, you know, you've got a wider parameter of freedom. Yeah in the in the community and things like that and of course it's, it's gone from that to completely locked down so they've gone a bit crazy they've managed not to kill each other um <laughs> but also my kids bored so it's been quite nice that they've had time together because they board in different in different schools but they're used to being in an environment that's fully children so uh you know that that that's been challenging for them um you know they've been quite good with the online studies apart from my daughter who sees it as an opportunity to sneak onto (laughs) instagram and other things you know you sort of take the telephone and then you realize they're so smart you know that they're logging in and it was only by chance a friend of mine said oh you know mags is on uh on instagram at the moment shouldn't she be in classes and i was like how do you know and she said oh she sent me a message asking me for a picture of her dog (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of our dog and I was like what and it was like 10 o'clock in the morning when she was supposed to be so you know but I you know you can't really go too mad because obviously as a as a teenager I'm sure I would have done the same if we'd had this kind of technology and circumstances then yeah but equally you want them to just I don't know GCSEs all that stuff's going to start kicking in next year so they've got to learn to study haven't they yeah that's it have you had to do any sort of like teaching from home have you had to get your teacher head on or yeah I have but not too much thank goodness because (laughs) I mean you know I've been able to help with language I'm you know I'm good at English history you know but like maths um French you know that my kids are fluent Um, great so, you know, they, you know, even when I try to help, it's like, thanks, never mind, next, you know, <laughs> and they don't, <laughs> they don't want my help. Yeah. 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 I don't know. If, did you watch, uh, obviously, because you've been in the jungle, I'm a celebrity. Yeah. Did you, did you watch the sort of the, the version in the castle this past year? Did you catch up you know, on that? I, I watched a bit of it and, um, but I didn't watch all of it, which I was surprised because I thought I would have been more into it than I was. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why I didn't like it. Just something. I think. I think maybe because I've had the actual jungle experience. Mm-hmm. I, I found I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it like a different show. Yeah. It, to me, it was like a completely different show. You know, they should have reinvented it and just called it. You know, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of the house and be done with it. Because you're kind of looking for the similarities and stuff. Yeah. But, um. I um, you know, I li- I liked the bits that I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't compelled to watch in the same way. Yeah, what well, I mean, what was your experience like as a contestant in that show? Did you, was it challenging? Was it just fun? Or it was horrendous because <laughs> I'm afraid of spiders. I mean, I'm afraid of everything that isn't kind of you know four legged and cute like this. <laughs> She's not scary at all. Um, even cats, once they get big, I'm a bit like funny with so um I did this course at the Regent's Park to help you get over arachnophobia and I just thought 
you know, and it got to a point where I could let them touch my hand with a spider, which, you know, I couldn't even be in the same building as a spider before, not knowingly. So I thought, oh, I should go to the jungle because this will help me be cured of all my irrational fears of insects and snakes and all that stuff. Um, it didn't. It didn't cure me, but it did desensitize me to the extent that if I was in the jungle, whilst I was in the jungle, if a big spider sort of walked across the ground in front of me, I wouldn't be freaking out, jumping, screaming, sweating, crying, trying to get away from it. I was able to calmly just watch it go about its business. Mm -hmm. um, but as much as I thought, gosh, look, look at me, I'm healed. Um, if a spider, a huge spider came across my floor now, I'd be upset about it. So it kind of, you know, but I did the trials. I didn't say no to anything apart from laying inside a coffin and letting them fill it with, I knew they were going to fill it up with rats walking all over me because I'd seen it on TV before. And I thought, I just can't, I just can't, can't do that. So I kind of, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here at that point. But all the other things, I just kept going for it and going for it. They kept voting for me because, of course, they loved the fact that I was traumatized and messed up and hair estate and, you know, yeah. <laughs> just like, but um, in a weird way, at the end of it, I did think I really enjoyed it. And I was really sad to leave when I was when I was out. And um, I just love being outside. I never thought I could sleep outside. Like I'd never been camping or anything like that. The fresh air. Um, I mean, the food was pretty grim, so I didn't miss that. But I loved the way you bonded as as people. And I made really good friends with Fatima, Whit Fatima Whitbread. I can't say her name. Oh, yeah. I know who you mean. Yeah, but you know, I, I probably won't be able to say it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would never think that she and I would hang out, that she'd even be interested. I thought I'd be much too much of a wimp for her, but we kind of became this dynamic duo. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Um, I love being in Australia. Of course, the Versace Hotel part was amazing. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah I, it's something that I, I don't regret doing and I would do again, even though I, I, I know you can't do it twice, but if you could do it twice, I would do it again and I'd try and be even better. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one thing I do want to talk to you about is your your faith. You know, your faith in God. Because you know, I'm a Christian myself. So, yeah. so um, I mean, and you know, from hearing some of your story as well, um, I, I found it inspiring as well. Because you know, I've sort of had my days where I was a bit of a wild child as well. And like, you know, and I guess like, I mean, how did your journey into, you know, getting to know who God was and have a relationship with Him start? I suppose. Yeah. Um. It was the funniest thing. I've been. I was read. There used to be something in Hello Magazine. It might still be in there, but it's called. It was called the Panorama page, and it would be where they'd sort of go, and it was, uh, you know, sort of alt altruism. And there was a picture of a child, I think, in Sudan or something. A tiny child, it may have been about two years old, squatting, holding its head like this, you know, naked little black baby, and above its head was a vulture a kind of, not quite in swoop position, but kind of hovering, waiting to swoop. Mm -hmm. um, and as a Christian, you know that the, how they describe the devil as um, yeah. you know, sort of prowling, waiting to see who they can devour and all this kind of thing. And I didn't know all the scriptures at that point, even though I'd always read, you know, I knew Jesus and I, uh, you know, I had some faith. I wasn't born again and as knowledgeable as I am now. But I remember looking at that picture 
And it upset me so much that I was kind of putting my hand over the child, almost wanting, like wishing I could protect the child from this vulture, this thinking. All around there was just wilderness and thinking, how far is this child going to get before it finally has to sleep or just dies? And that vulture's able to just take it and sweep it away. And it really, really got to me. And I called my mother sobbing and just sort of said, look, I've seen this picture. It's upset me so much. I don't think I'm meant to be a pop star. I think I'm meant to be like a missionary or something going to help people because this I haven't been able to stop crying all morning. So my mother was like, well, you know, it's funny that you said that. Someone's dropped a, a tape into the through the letterbox uh, last week and it was music from a new church that's starting around the corner from me. I went to check it out and the people seemed really nice. Maybe you should come along. And I remember rolling my eyes thinking, oh, you know, thanks, mom. But, that, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to go to some funny church. I'm just so upset and I just want to know about how, so I, I need to get information about how to become a missionary, but thanks a lot. Anyway, a week later, she said, you know, you said you'd come to this thing. I really want you to come to this church with me. You know, the people are really nice. And I was like, look, I promise I'll come sometime, but don't keep bugging me about it. I promise I will come one day and visit your little church. So finally, about another week later, I thought I better go to this church because she's going to keep asking me. Yeah. So I turn up and I took my little dog. I had a different dog at the time. Took my little dog with me and thought, oh, it's going to be some nice little, you know, Church of England sweet place and it was a little kindergarten in Charing Cross and uh, there were about 15 people in this school hall um, singing and I went in and they were singing this beautiful song called I Surrender and I sort of had arrived a little bit late and sort of scooched into one of the seats loads of empty seats and about 15 people like I said in there singing the song the words of the song hit me I ended up in floods of tears just listening to the song. And the next thing you know, I'm at the altar call in this little kindergarten, giving my life to Jesus, um, surrendering my life to Jesus. And, uh, and afterwards, the, the, the pastor who turned up was a guy called Jared Keane, who'd come to plant a church in London from Australia. He'd come with his two young children with no money and just no real plan apart from I'm going to plant a church in London. And he said, I'm, um, you know, I'm the pastor, I'm Jared. Um, I understand you're a singer. And I was like, yes, yes, you know, I'm a pop star, I'm a singer and everything. He said, well, we're looking for singers because we need a worship team. Um, so will you join the team? So I was kind of like, um, well, uh, you know, I'm very expensive and I don't think <laughs> I could really afford me. And he said, no, 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 we're not going to pay you, but I'll, I'll give you a cassette, take this cassette of songs, learn the songs, and then next week come, up, come in an hour early so we can practice, and then you can be the worship leader. So I was like, oh, you know, I don't think that this is something I'm going to do regularly. It was really nice, but I don't really get up Sunday mornings. I work late nights. I'm very expensive, as I said. I don't. I really don't think you'll be able to afford me. Uh, you said you can't afford me. And he said, no, 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 but we're not going to pay you. You'll be singing for, for God, for Jesus. And I laughed and sort of said, <laughs> okay, just thought, I'm just going to take the cassette and go. And he doesn't know where I live. I'll never, never see him again anyway. Put the cassette in my car, listen to it all the way home. It turns out it's the first Hillsong album, Shout to the Lord. 
by the time I get home, I'm singing the songs. Like I've learned them, I've played them twice and I've taken the cassette inside and I'm loving these songs and I'm thinking, gosh. Um, long story short, I turned up the next week, an hour early. Don't know what made me do it. Well, obviously I know it was God now, but I turned up and he said, oh, you know, before we start rehearsals, can you help set up the chairs and everything? And I'm like thinking, he really doesn't realize who I am. You know, I'm sort of thinking, you know, I'm, I'm Sunita, you know, the pop star. And he's like, yeah, that's lovely. Thank you for coming. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I set up the chairs and he said, can you make sure the toilet's clean? Because if people come, we want the music club. And I go and I look in the bathroom and I think, well, the toilet, you know, we're out of tissue paper. Oh, can you go buy some loo roll? Here's some money. So I go to the Cullens and I buy some loo roll, come back. And I'm shaking my head thinking, this is going to be hilarious when he realizes who I am kind of thing. <laughs> And we set up and I get up there and I join in the singing. We rehearse and we sing, you know, about 15 people are there. And he's preaching as if it's Wembley. <laughs> you know, he's like, Lord. And he, he says, you know, we've got to get together. We've got to pray that this place is going to be so full and all of this. And, we get, and I end up, you know, becoming one of the founder members of Hillsong Church, London. And, um, and I've just never left. You know, I got all my teaching there. You know, I got baptized, you know, I got saved, obviously got baptized. I learned, I went to Bible college. Um, this was 1994, 1990, 1990, 1994. Yes. And, uh, you know, I went to Sydney and saw the mother church and they were having, they were having this uh, Christian conference in the Homebush Stadium. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is what this is what you're trying to do in England. I get it. And they dragged me up on stage and I thought they were dragging me up on stage to say, look, look, Sanita's in our thing. And it was actually they brought me on stage and introduced me to the whole stadium. And he said, and this is Sanita. She's uh, one of the first fruits from the London. The London church. And everyone sort of clapped and hi, Sunita. And they sort of got me to join in with the worship team there, which was amazing. Whole stadium, you know, worshiping God. And, you know, I just kind of got the vision and stuck with it. And um, it's now 2021. Yeah. And I think, you know, in Hillsong, well, obviously not now, but it's one of the biggest meeting churches in central London. We've planted churches all over Europe and in America and, everywhere um uh in fact get, get, i don't know if you do you know gary clark who's head of hillsong london yeah i know who he is yeah he's just about to uh hand over um the head the head of um of london hillsong to tim tim and nicola sorry tim and nicola who used to be our youth pastors years ago uh when they when they came over and they're coming back from australia now to to take over as the leaders of the London church. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Sorry, that was a really long story. <laughs> no, that's great. No, I love I love listening to it. No, yeah. But it's, you know, it's it's really interesting. Just I mean, just because like as well, like I think, you know, when I sorry, I got baptized in 2019, so about two years ago. But you know, it was a couple of years ago, I was sort of going to church, not really sure what I made of it. 
and kind of thinking, oh, you know, I remember some of my mates sort of making a joke out of it. You as a Christian, you're too far gone. You know, you can't, <laughs> you know, you, you can't be a Christian now. It's just like, you know, you talk about those weekends in Magaluf. It's like, you can't go to Christian. You can't go yeah. to church. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it, you know, and I remember the first time I went to church, um, just sort of, I, I remember getting, I was hungover. I think I had sunglasses on. I just stood at the, it was quite, you know, it was about hundred people or so at the church I went to, just stood at my, my by myself at the back of the room, not wanting to draw attention to myself but yeah like that first worship song like oh, I could feel it now I just felt like there was a hand on my shoulder like I was home and I was just you know being yeah. welcomed back and Amazing. just yeah and just Amazing. yeah and just having that you know and I remember the first time the pastor had no idea who I was and I was just trying to not get involved at all and the pastor you know because I was really struggling in terms of just forgiving myself I was looking around the room and thinking I can never be like these people the, all these really nice friendly mm -hmm. Christians like, I can't be like this and um yeah I remember the pastor like towards the end of the service pointed at me and um you know I was like oh, I don't want to go up I was just like I tried not to make eye I was just trying to look away like but I pretend I haven't seen him but he wouldn't you know he wouldn't uh he sort of came over and said you know God wants me to tell you that you know he said that he died for all sins not all sins except Lawrence's <laughs> and I was just like oh wow uh, that's that's a really important you know that really touched me yeah. that point I was just like I kind of need to get over myself really <laughs> wow yeah. that's so lovely the, um the funny thing at, at, at Hillsong when we first started was just called the Christian Life Centre one of the things is when my mother had been going for those three weeks before I came she'd been telling them about me and how she has a daughter and all this and they had they they were all praying for me they'd all been praying for me before they met me so that was another thing as well, because when, when they sort of, you know, you stand and you sort of have a cup of tea afterwards, or I think we were having the orange cordial or something and chat afterwards, when I had fully intended to just flee, people were like, oh, yes, you know, it's so nice you're here. And, and I realized I'd actually been prayed in because they'd been, you know, you're Michael's daughter. We've been praying for you. And, and I think that's as well why it just kind of hit me. Um, that's, you know, where you just think, wow, it definitely works because I'd been to so many different spiritual things. I'd been to a Buddhist meeting with a gang of friends um, about a year before that. And Buddhism was really, really popular in those days. And lots of big stars, you know, Tina Turner and, you know, Kabbalism was, was, was really big. And there were lots of sort of trendy meetings with trendy people going on. And, and I'd attended a few. And you know, one at the Buddhist meeting, I remember just having laughing hysterically, not at the people. And in fact, I didn't even know what I was laughing at, but the effect it had on my spirit was that I was uncontrollably laughing, like when you're in class and you know you're going to get into trouble, but you can't control it. Yeah. And I was sweating, trying not to laugh because I didn't want my friends to think I was laughing at them. But the more they were chanting, the more I was just like, in the end, I had to sort of pretend I was having a coughing fit and just get out. But it was such a shame because I really wanted to be part of it, like photographers, models, fashion people. And yet that when I went into that tiny little funny little church that wasn't even in a church, that was the effect that it, you know, I burst into tears and, mm -hmm. and joined up. Yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing. And I mean, you're, you're from like myself, you're in the creative world, so you grew up in the creative mm -hmm. world as well. And, uh, you know, obviously in that world, you meet a lot of, you know, I have a lot of friends that are, they're gay and homosexual, you know, homosexual. And I remember a few of them, 
would say to me, oh, you're Christian now. Does that mean our relationship has to change? Like you don't agree oh, with my oh, life. Yeah. You know, and I think there is that, there's a lot of stigma as well. And, you know, there are, you know, there are some people at my church that have that opinion of, you know, it, homosexuality is wrong, but, you know, I don't know if I, it's, it's hard to sort of, I don't know how I feel about it. Cause like, you know, I don't think it's as simple as, you know, going to the gates of heaven to be with God one day and being sorry, no gays allowed in here. I don't, you know, I don't think it's not as simple as that. You know, yeah. I wish I could do something, but you know, you knew the rules. You know, I don't think it's as simple as that. Um, you know, I think we're all sort of judged individually in our hearts and our relationships with God. I think you know, the most important thing is we know who God is and we have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know how you feel about it. Oh yeah, I mean, this is like my sort of mission in life really is to reconcile the gay community to Jesus because I think it's the biggest myth and lie that the LGBTQ plus community are exempt from heaven and and church and and God because God made us all in his image um he made us all equal he doesn't favor he's he doesn't favor one one child over another all sin is equal to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are all sinners. So, you know, I think it's because it does say in the Bible that same-sex relationships or same-sex sex is forbidden. But it also says lying is forbidden. Um, mm-hmm. It says sex sex outside of marriage is forbidden. Mm-hmm. It says... Um, Coveting, you know, wanting something that belongs to someone else is forbidden. So basically, we all sin on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So why would um, a same-sex relationship be judged worse than than lying or or have or a, a sex outside of marriage because they're in the same category of sin? Yeah, no, I, I completely completely agree with that. And it's you know, I had. Uh, I mean, one of my best friends, whilst I was, you know, he um, was studying with him, I, he, I was, I mean, I was the first person he sort of came out to and he had a girlfriend at the time and he oh. came out and yeah, and he came out as gay and, you know, he sort of said, you know, they're not even married yet, but like they're talking about getting married, him and his partner now, he's with a guy and, you know, he said, you know, I'd love you to be my best man at my wedding and I mentioned it to a couple of people in my church and it's funny, you get a couple of people that are just like, absolutely no, you cannot even go to that wedding I let yeah. alone be the best man and then you get some people that I that I like you know I like listen to their opinion because I you know I trust that opinion more and believe in it myself where they say well no I feel that Jesus put you in that position for your friend to be able to come out to talk to you know and that's the position you know he wants you to love that person and it's like you say just leave leave whatever judgment we have to come leave that to yeah. you know it's not our call at the end of the day right <laughs> Well, exactly. I mean, I'm actually ordained, and mm-hmm. and one of the things I want to do is to actually officiate in gay marriages or you know same sex mm-hmm. marriages as well, because I think that we as Christians are called to be like Jesus, mm-hmm. and Jesus was all things to all men, and he often surprised people in the Bible, like when he stopped the adulteress from being stoned by asking anyone out the first person who was guilt free to throw the first stone and he was the only person still standing who was guilt-free and he still didn't throw it mm-hmm. and so I think no you know I think Jesus would say you know that love is love mm-hmm. that love is love and that he would love those he that he loves 
that community as much as he as much as he loves us the same way he loved the Gentiles as much as the Jews and so on and so forth and I think there's always a group of people trying to keep you know historically there's always one group of people trying to keep another group of people away from God mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you know I just think God forbid that Christians that we as Christians become that group of people because that would make us the biggest hypocrites of all mm-hmm. yeah. that we're supposed to do anything we can to reconcile all people to him and if we're making a mistake if we if we're mistaken then I think God knows our hearts and he puts the desires in our hearts right so mm-hmm. if that's if that's my desire to bring the gay community to to Jesus he's put that desire there for a reason mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely and I mean yeah. When you sort of made that transition to, to as you know, Christian and ministry, like something that I personally found difficult sometimes is letting go of your past. I don't know if you've ever found that, like you know, in terms of you know the wild child days. The mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes you you can't have those moments where you know you, you feel guilty about behaviours and you feel like you kind of look back and go, oh, "What was I thinking? What was I doing when I was nine? You know, I'm 31 now. It's like I still think, "What was I doing oh, when I was you know, a baby? Yeah, well, what was I doing when I was 19 years old? What was I thinking? <laughs> um, you know, you get those moments, but I don't know if you, you know, is it hard to kind of sometimes for you to was it ever that challenging to kind of let those that sort of old life go? Is it hard to kind of? I I was really lucky or blessed because I was able to let it go quite quickly and quite abruptly um but I think when I first got saved because I was quite young you know I was like in my early 20s when I got saved so I was still very young I was still very impressionable so when I initially got saved I was very religious as well and now I hope I'm not religious at all I hope I just have a great relationship with Jesus and you know um but I, I I was quite religious so I was very um religious about my approach like I I stopped smoking abruptly you know and I wouldn't drink I I, I went very very sort of against everything that I'd sort of done initially and then I kind of realized that I was that that wasn't really <laughs> that wasn't real Christianity that that was a kind of judgment. I was kind of judging myself and giving myself these standards and these hoops to jump through that would make me more Christian. And as I've matured, I've realized that the only thing that's going to make me more Christian is, is being closer and closer and closer to God and knowing God more. So I'm much more forgiving. And I kind of look back at those days and think, gosh, I'm so lucky. You know, you know, I dabbled with drugs. You know, I'd go to nightclubs before I was legally old enough to go to them and all these kinds of things that I sort of think, gosh, well, thank God I, I you know, I dodged the Leah Betts batch of ecstasy things, you know, because, you know, I wasn't like a big drug addict or anything, but, you know, I was experimenting and trying things. And so I, I, I kind of feel like, wow, God, you had your hand on me even back then because I did take crazy risks just thinking I was having fun, but I was actually mm-hmm. risking my life. Um, and of course I have teenage children now, so I'm like, just, it's just really interesting because you just think, you know, like my daughter, my, both of my children have grown up in church at the London Hillsong. My daughter's now questioning all of that because religion that's taught at school is not like RE or RK, like when I was younger, it's religions of the world. Yeah. So, even though I think it's 
I think it's good to understand all the religions. In a way, I'm a bit disappointed because it means at a young age, she's already questioning Christianity and sort of saying, you know what, I, I think I might be more of a Buddhist or more of a, I might be more into Taoism or, mm. or, or, or other things. And it's almost as if, it's almost as if they're being taught that there are different gods rather than different yeah. religions because mm. it's like, so I might believe this God more than what you, the God you believe in. And I find that, I find that difficult, but the forgiveness I find easy. I'm harder on myself now and things like I'll go, okay, I'm not going to do this. So I need to really see things with God's mind and not my mind. And it's hard not to slip into being a bit too self-critical because you've got to go, well, if God forgives me, who am I not to forgive myself? Yeah. Are my standards higher than God's, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it, yeah. I mean, you mentioned your um, your teenagers there. I mean, you went through the process of adoption, right, when you were um, trying for children and you went down the adoption route. What was that whole, I suppose, process like of, you know, and uh, being, a, being a single mum that's got two adopted kids? Well, the process was actually quite thorough. Um, it took just just about a year, maybe just over. Um, they like it. They say that it shouldn't take much more than a, a, a regular pregnancy, and that's from signing up and going to your first uh, your first meeting about adopting. Um, even though I was used to doing interviews and a lot, and you know, talking to strangers and asking questions and things like that, I found it quite intrusive because they're asking you things in areas that you're not used to having to divulge but in the end it was quite therapeutic because they were you know they would ask you things like well you know did you do did you experiment with drugs when you were a teenager and things like that and I'd be thinking oh gosh I shouldn't really tell them this because they're going to find me unsuitable to be a parent but because I was a Christian, I didn't want to lie about it either. So I was like, you know what, God, let your will be done in this. I'm just going to be completely honest. And if I found not to be suitable, then it's not meant to be. But what happened is they took everything on board that I was saying. And they didn't judge me the way I thought they would. What they ended up saying was actually, because you've had these experiences and learned from them and your attitude towards them now, we actually think you'd be very suitable to be a parent because when your children are teenagers one day, you have the experience to warn them, you know what the pitfalls are, you know what the temptations are and all those things. Um, and they were right because I had stepchildren as well. And I remember my stepson wanting to talk to me rather than his father because he, you know, because I was like 10 years younger and he thought that I would be a bit more liberal I suppose mm -hmm. a bit cooler and so we were in the car one day and he said um you know I've been offered some weed at school what do you think about that and I said oh well like it's funny that they can get it out at school how do they get it at school and he said oh I don't know but a few of the older kids in there are quite cool and they know people who know people and so you know stuff does get in and now they're starting to offer it down to us as well and it's probably, you know, anyone listening, I'm not saying this is the answer to give to your kids, but the sort of person I was and because of the experiences I had, my answer came out as well. When I used to um, dabble with drugs when I was younger, I was a very wealthy pop star. And therefore, the things that I was being offered was coming from, you know, quite a sophisticated place, sort of quite, quite high up 
the food chain. But as I understand it, drugs get cut, mm. and, and you know, the further down the food chain they go. In other words, if you had a pound of, of grass or weed, the dealer would cut it in half and then maybe mix in just weeds and stuff from the garden or whatever else and then sell it on and then he'd make a profit from the half that he sold and so on and so forth. But imagine what that's going to contain by the time it gets into the hands of grubby schoolboys. Mm. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me with hot, like actual half disgust and half horror. And I said, because imagine they could put probably, but you know, it could just be literally weeds from the garden sprayed with some, you know, sort of aerosols or something that would still make you high when you smoke them, but it's probably just chemical. It's not natural weed anymore. And he went, God, you, you're probably right. And I said, yeah, I think, I think I am. I don't think they'd be giving sort of good grade of drugs to little schoolboys. And especially if the prefects, you know, the prefects are selling it to you, they all have done something to it as well. And he went, well, that's just made up my mind. Thank you very much. I think I'm going to take up rowing. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a difference. Yeah, just one, one extreme for the other. Okay, end of conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I think I saw that you decided quite early on to let your kids know they were adopted. Was that like quite, um, you know, were you were quite adamant about that, that that was the right move to do? Or did you get advice? Or Yeah, that's what I was advised um, by the um, the local authorities, the, the adoption team. They said that they think that it's good for children to know age appropriately you know, all their lives. So, because my children were quite young when they came to me, they found out in the way of when they first saw a pregnant woman and they were sort of saying, look, you know, mommy, she has a, a fat tummy. And I said, no, she doesn't have a fat tummy. She has a baby in there. She's pregnant. There's a baby in her tummy. And they were, oh, so, you know, well, we inside your tummy when we were babies. And I said, aha, this is my opportunity. So I sort of explained to them that they weren't inside my tummy, but they were inside their tummy mummy's tummy. Right. But the tummy mummy wasn't able to look after them. So then I became their mummy to, to bring them up and bring them up. And of course, as they got older, that made more, more sense to them. I'm not sure if I think it was the best idea, but I don't have a better alternative. But I, I did sort of think it was sad that my children had to know at such a young age that they were different to other children because... Mm -hmm. That seems to be what, well, in my experience, all little children want to do, and even teenagers, they just want to be the same as everyone else. They want to wear the same clothes, they want to eat the same foods, go to the same places, have the same interests, and they want to come into the world the same way as well, unless you've got some amazing story that E.T. found you or something. Mm -hmm. They kind of want the same birth experience as well. So it did mean that they knew from an early age that they were different. Yeah, and I suppose it's that... Is it is it difficult to have those questions with them at such a young age? Like to sort of explain it if they sort of, you know, the questions are where is you know where did I come from? Is it you know can that be difficult at a young age yeah, to kind because, of explain? Yeah, because yeah. then the next question, well, where, where is my tummy, mummy? Yeah, and why couldn't she look after me? And you know, those questions are harder to mm. answer. So. You know, you sort of think, well, it's all very well. But then, you know, what what do you say? You know, because I didn't know where their tummy mummy was mm. and I didn't want to make up lies. And they were far too young to understand why she wasn't able to look after them. So it did kind of leave me in a difficult, kind of difficult position. But equally, I think 
you know, do you wait until they're 12 years old and suddenly that can cause an identity crisis or or 16 or 18 or 21? And then you've let someone live their whole life believing one thing and then you're telling them something else. So, you know, like I said, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm not mm. sure that knowing straight off the bat is the answer either. Mm. Or you've, we've got to have a lot of other answers in place as well. Yeah. Do you, either of your kids show any sort of... Um, wanting to kind of like go into the following your footsteps going into the music industry or my daughter definitely she yeah. says she's definitely going to be a singer um she was going to be a model um but um and she could definitely be an actress because she's a real <laughs> drama queen <laughs> but um she um but she's a brilliant artist and she's a great sportswoman you know she runs really well she's got long legs she's tall much taller than me already still and um I mean, already, and she's good at high jump. So she she just has a lot more options. I, I think I'd love to see her do something else, but obviously if this is what's going to make her happy. But it's a difficult, it's, it's an uncertain life because unless you're extremely successful, it's difficult to really make a living in show business. Yeah. I mean, obviously you were involved in the show, The X Factor, you know, on Simon Cowell's, um, team, you know, during the yeah. X Factor. I mean, how much of that, I suppose, is what you, you know, is what we see on TV is factual, I suppose. Because I know, you know, do, do you guys have like a real say of who goes through to the live shows, or are you kind of under pressure from the creative powers that be, producers, about who you let through? Or do you really get the final say about who goes through to the live show? Oh, yeah. No, the judges the judges really do decide. Oh, okay. You know, it's got to be who they who they believe in and who they think they can work well with. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, the, that that's all 100% real. Yeah, because yeah, it always just seemed a bit, there always seems like a bigger uh, controversy, you know, when it gets to the judges' houses, like, how did that person not get through? And, you know, they got through. Yeah. There always seems to be that every yeah, the X Factor, there was someone that would get questioned about while they were allowed on and someone else wasn't, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, yes. And Simon and I used to fight every year. You know, I mean, <laughs> I used to have tantrums, be in tears and everything because I'd be fighting for someone that he didn't think, you know. But more, there was always someone that I really wanted that he did put through as well. And he'd sort of go, look, you know, I'm the judge. I, you know, you, you can't just take over, Sunita. And I'd be, yes, but it's not fair. This person's so amazing. And he's like, we're only allowed four. So what do you want me to do? And okay, okay, okay. But, um, you know, you get quite passionate and riled up with the whole thing because, you know, you, you this, sometimes it's not even just talent. that It'll be just something about a person or maybe their story yeah. that you really fall for them and you really want, you really want it for them. Mm -hmm. um, well, was there a contestant that you really were really champion over your champion and over your sort of series with the X Factor was there someone that was really sort of satisfied when you saw them win or do well or um Ollie Mers Ollie Mers yeah he was amazing but he had a difficult audition where he sort of forgot words and you know at judges houses he he had a bit of a a, a rough time I think just his nerves got to him mm -hmm. and um and but you know you just think come on I I just knew look if I was a teenage girl he would be my pop idol. You yes. know, he's just got it. He's got the swag. He's cheeky. He's cute. He's handsome. He's funny. 
you know, he can dance, he's he's soulful. I just thought he had everything. And it was like, you know, he made a mistake, but, you know, but he does have it. He has the X Factor. This is supposed to be called the X Factor, not I get all the words right when I sing my songs, you know. Mm-hmm. So we had a bit of battle about that. But um, secretly, I think Simon loved Ollie as well. Um, yeah. But he just wanted to see, you know, how how far I would go to fight for him. Mm-hmm. That's great, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean, what I mean that there was that famous X Factor series where you wore the the leaf dress. What was, <laughs> yeah. what, what was the what was the sort of idea of wearing that, and how did that all come about? That was just, I mean, now you know when you just think, what was I? Oh yeah, because Simon and I, we've known each other for gosh, like nearly forty years. You know, we've grown up together. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we would sort of, I would sort of forget we were making a TV show and it was just like Sunita and Simon at home, like making each other laugh. And because I, the year before we'd been in Barbados for judges houses and I'd worn a gold bikini and a gold, gold swimsuit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a swimsuit or a bikini, maybe it's a gold bikini, but we'd gotten lots of press about it. And we'd even had you know people saying, Oh, Sunita should be the next bond girl and all this stuff. So Simon said, you know, you're going to have to top that outfit. Now, previous to that, there'd never been any discussions about what I was wearing for judges houses. It was turn up for judges houses and do it. And I could have come, you know, in a ones it wouldn't have mattered. It, you know, there was no dress code. And, you know, and he's one to talk about dress code because he <laughs> always wore the same thing every single day for about five years. Um, <laughs> So he just said, you know, the gold bikini made such an impact last year. You know, you've got to wear a bikini that, again this year. And I was like, no, I'm not wearing a bikini. I, I, and also, I'm not bikini ready. Like, mentally, you've got to be ready to go on TV in front of 20 million people in a bikini. And it's not just about waxing and stuff. It's about mental, mentally, like, okay, am I ready for this? And I hadn't thought we would buy a pool the year before. It made sense and I was ready. So I was like, no, 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 I've brought this sweet little dress I'm going to wear. And he was like, boring. Come on, Sunita. People are going to expect you to be in a bikini. And I was like, well, tough. People, you know, can expect. Anyway, the next morning he had his drivers and one of the producers come to pick me up to take me shopping to get a bikini. I said, I haven't even brought a bikini with me. So they sent someone to take me shopping to get a bikini. And I was like, unbelievable. I'm not going to let them bully me into the wearing mm. bikini. So I called a friend who lived out in LA, Paul Medford, and we went shopping together. And I said, I need something. I need something that's going to make people talk, but I'm not wearing a bikini. I need to be covered. But it, And as we were saying it, we were driving past this nursery, that um, British nursery with all these exotic plants and everything in there. And I thought, oh, let's go in there. And we kind of created the leaf dress, like, do you have any big palm palm leaves or whatever that we could? Went back to the place. We bought two sets of everything so we could try do a trial run the night before. And we managed to sort of stick everything on. And if I walk really slowly, that they would stay on for about 10 minutes if I'm lucky. And the next morning we said, I said to Simon, oh, he's over breakfast. We were having a production meeting. And... Uh, he said, "Oh, did you did you get the uh, did you get the bikini?" And I went, "Oh yes, yes, I got the bikini." And he went, "Fantastic, fantastic." And I said, "But one thing, you guys, you're going to have to film it the first time and just film Simon's reaction because the bikini is so minuscule, it's so skimpy, it might be too obscene to be seen on television. Like you might have to put a blur over me because it's so skimpy." So of course they're all guys, all. So, silly guys so they're like salivating like really wow yes. great well good job Sunita this is going to be fantastic something great I'm going to get you so then of course I said nobody's allowed to see me till I step out I step out they film Simon 
get the best reaction ever. I mean, he can't contain himself. He's in hysterics. And then they shot me again the second time round. Now, that whole thing was about me just wanting to wind Simon up and make Simon laugh. I didn't expect it to actually make the cut. I thought they'd sort of just do it. And it would be like our bloopers, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we got some crazy react. Then I'd put on my dress and come out and we'd do the show as normal. Um, and it ended up becoming the leaf dress, which I'm kind of now known as. It's like my most sort of famous. Viral clip, yeah. Sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I can remember. The teenage, the teenage um, me remembers the swimsuit and the leaf dress very well. <laughs> the X Factor days, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, you talk about Simon and stuff. You obviously had that, you know, you've sort of had it's not a secret. You had like a romance with him, you know, and you were involved with him. Have you, like, I guess, sort of post that, and you, you know, are you still quite friendly and you have a close relationship? Oh yes, we're yeah. we're still very good friends. We're god godparents to each other's children. Okay. Um, you know, I went to see him in Barbados last Christmas after he broke his back. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I needed to see him walking and moving for myself because normally I would have flown out as soon as it happened. But because of COVID, I couldn't. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just very, very worried about him. So I managed to uh, luckily get out before the uh, the curfew here and got to see him. And he's, you know, looking great. He's in great shape. He's actually in better shape now than before the accident. And he's healthy and he's heal, healing really well. He does these physiotherapy exercises that he has to do every day. Um, and in a way, that's great because he wasn't actually exercising every day before he had the the accident. Mm -hmm. So like I said, he's fitter and healthier and he, he's doing really well. That's good. Recovering well then. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, I suppose, like, you know, you, you, you talk about you being godparents to each other's kids. Are you, you know, was was it hard to see Simon, I suppose, move on and have kids at first? Or were you always be able to be quite happy for him? No, I mean, I did find it difficult at first because I sort of loved Simon all my life. And, mm. you know, a big, a big part of me thought that once we got older and more settled, that we would end up together, that we would get married and, and be together because I he'd always been in my life. So yeah. it was, I did take it quite hard and, um, and uh, you know, I think quite openly, quite publicly took it quite hard as well, probably much to his horror. Um, but, you know, we've come through it now and, you know, and we're great. And Eric is an absolute dream. <laughs> you know, we're, we're really close and it was lovely to get to spend time with him over Christmas, you know, we played Baywatch, swimming around the boats and rescuing people. And he's an amazing swimmer. Excuse me, you can't think a child that size, you don't expect to see them in the middle of the ocean swimming without armbands, but he'll just jump off the boat and swim and he can swim all the way back to shore and back. And oh, he's, he's, he's just lovely. That's great. So, um, having, yeah, that, has having kids softened Simon up a little bit, do you think? Or has he always had that soft side to him? He always had that soft side to him, um, which is what I, I would be trying to explain to people because people would go, but how, why do you like Simon so much? He's so nasty, so mean. <laughs> yeah. And I would be like, no, but he really isn't. If, if, if anything, that's a sort of TV persona. And it's more out of the fact that if someone's a really bad singer, he can't hide it on his face or it does give him the giggles or he says something sarcastic. That's his real personality, but he's not actually mean. Mm -hmm. um, but Eric, I think, has 
helped allow him to show that side of himself. Because you know what guys are like, you know. I think there's that James Bond in every man that he's seen growing up. So they sort of don't like to show their emotions and they want to be seen as being sort of cool on TV and that kind of thing. And I think having Eric's let him sort of drop that, drop that guard. But he was always a big softy underneath. Yeah. That's great. Well, it's uh, nice to hear that Simon's recovering and doing well. And nice to know that you're doing well as well. You're doing good at the minute. You're doing good. Doing really, really well. Um, You know, I'm on my sort of health tip now. And I Mm. did exercise, got up this morning early, 1st of March. So I've done like my exercise and everything before uh, meeting with you. And, uh, you know, I'm on track now. I'm on track. Yeah. And I want to be an example as well. I want to be example to, you know, to others because, you know, my life is not bad. I'm, you know, I'm not suffering. I'm not ill. Um, you know, my children are well. My mother's healthy. Like everything is actually really good. So, you know, it's it's a mindset, isn't it? It's looking yeah. at looking at how grateful you are and how lucky you are, rather than you know. I mean, it's almost childish to go, oh, well, I'm so bored. It's like, you know, everybody's, everybody's fed up, you know. Yeah. Are you itching yeah. to get back out and perform? You... Yes. Yeah. I am. I'm, I'm ready to, to, to get back out there. Um, but I'm going to use the rest of the time to actually train because, you know, you wouldn't normally have this opportunity to actually improve your skills. So I'm going to be doing some vocal classes and some da- right. online dance. So you can do everything online now. <laughs> yeah. dance, dance lessons and everything. So hopefully I'm going to be, you know, you know, good. There's a few things in the pipeline that I'm not allowed to um, reveal yet. Um, plus, I'm you know developing new programs. I've created a lot of shows, and I've got a a YouTube channel with where I'm starting to put some content on. Some of it is um, Christian content where I've been reading um, Battlefields of the Mind, Joyce Meyer's book. Oh, she's great. Also, Hundred Days of Favor, Joseph Prince book for people who need sort of daily inspiration. Um, but then also just some entertainment content with young artists that I'm working with. So I'm just trying to be creative and, uh, you know, keep, keep, just keep doing stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the projects that you've got coming up and I'm going to have to come and see you perform as soon as you're back out there doing your thing. Yes. I would love you to, you have to let me know when you're, when you're coming so we can meet afterwards. Oh, that'd be fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Sonita. You look well, you look great and look forward to, look forward to seeing you, you know, doing your thing. Thank you so much. Thank you. And say bye to Scarlett as well. Say bye. Bye Scarlett. Yeah, a huge thanks um, to Sunita for coming on. Uh, yeah, really want to thank her for being so open with us. And, you know, but, uh, any question we wanted to ask her was on the table. And, uh, yeah, it was really interesting, you know, to talk about to talk about those private things. You know, it, it's a big deal to talk about your faith and to talk about your relationships with someone. And, um, yeah, I, I want to thank Sunita for sharing that with us. Um, it was really great talking to her. And hopefully we get to talk to her again. I'd love to go see her um you know perform soon with her shows and um, the musical um yes but thank you for coming on and thanks guys thanks guys for tuning in and i'll see you again next time